And now this is a story. And so as we tell it like a story, I wanted to frame it like a book. And so under the table of contents here, we divided this series into six parts. And each one of those parts has a title, the beginning, the fall, the nation, the law, the deliverer, and the end. And you can see the scripture that corresponds with each of those parts. This first part, the beginning, we're going to spend four weeks in. We're going to spend a month in part one, the beginning. Okay, I just wanted to highlight a few things that we're going to be looking at this next month together. Some key events that we're going to be seeing is creation and Lucifer's fall. Okay, as far as the, the nor- narrative of the story, we're going to start a little bit slower, but we're going to speed up as we go through this story. It's so important we get these foundations down. Key names from this first part is God. We're going to look at Adam and Eve. The angels, we're going to look at how they come into being. And then Lucifer, who becomes Satan. And the passages are Genesis 1 and 2. And then we're actually going to fast forward to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, where we see Lucifer's fall. All right, here we go. Every week we're going to kind of, we're going to give it a name, we're a chapter, because we're looking through books. So chapter one, part one, the beginning, chapter one, God. Now we've stated many times in our prologue, the purpose of this study, and I would argue the purpose of scripture itself is to know God as he revealed himself to us in his story. Praise God that he chose to reveal himself to us. He didn't have to, but he did because he wants us to know him. And I tell you what, the best way that you can get to know somebody, I believe, is in story form. Like, for example, I could tell you a lot about Chuck, my man Chuck Davis there in the back. I could tell you that he's gentle, that he's kind, that he's sweet, that he's compassionate. I could, I could give you those attributes, and that's somewhat helpful, but how much more helpful if I tell you a story about Chuck? And this interaction I had with him and the way that I saw his compassion and his kindness and his sweetness in action. And that's the way that God has told us this story about himself. He doesn't just give us a a list of attributes. I am merciful. I am just. I am holy. He shows us himself in action. He shows us himself in this wonderful story. And so we want to hear from God the way that he told us about himself, which is in the form of a story and to see how we fit into that grand story. And the reason that we name this series His Story is because it's all about Him. This is a story that was told by God, about God, so that we would know God. That's the entire purpose of this story. And so, we're going to start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start, all right? Now, if you've read any story, you know you start at the beginning. That's how we're going to read His Story the same way. So go ahead and open your Bible. To Genesis. It's right after the table of contents and right before everything else. Hopefully you can find that, or many of you clicking on an app. We're just so you know, we are uh, typically in the NIV. If it's not, if it, I'll note otherwise, but if it's not noted like New Living or NASB or whatever, just it's assumed that it's in the NIV. Um, the word Genesis. The word Genesis means the origin, coming into being of something. In other words, This is how it all began, and this is huge. This is foundational for us. If we are going to have a biblical worldview, if we're going to see the world the way God sees it, the way he intends for us to see it, we've got to get to the root. We've got to start at the beginning. We've got to develop a firm foundation. And so here it is, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. Now we're going to stop right there. We're not going any farther today. Let's pray. Father, no, wait a minute. 
We, and I, I figured, I did some math, if we went this pace, if we did four words all the way through the Bible, we would be done every once a week. We would be done in 3,800 years. So uh, we're really going to have to pick up the pace, uh, but we'll do so. But I love this. The Bible starts with this giant assumption that God exists. If, if you notice that, if you read this, it, it doesn't try to bother to explain God's existence. It just, when the story began, there was already God. He's already there. And there is nothing, hear me on this, there is nothing more significant in our lives than whether or not God exists. This is at the bottom of absolutely everything. And I believe that these four simple words, in the beginning, God. And in these four words, there are four powerful, earth-shattering, life-changing truths that we desperately need to know and desperately need to believe with every fiber of our being. And this is the outline for this morning, the four things that we see from these words. Number one, that this story is about God. Number two, this story is about the everlasting God. Number three, the story is about the self-existent God. And finally, the story is about the only God. So let's start at the very beginning. The story is about God. How many of you have ever seen the movie Rocky? Hey, give me a Rocky fist if you see how you're in there. All right, you got it. You love it. Now, who, can you tell me, uh, go ahead and shout it out, who is the main character of this movie? The last, I told you, College Heights. Go and check it out. Now, who is it? The character? Yeah, yeah, you guys are sharp this morning, all right? It's, it's Rocky. It's the guy in the middle of the screen, okay? It takes up the entire screenshot there. Um, now, another, this is a harder question. Does anybody know who this guy is? You see that little, this, you can, I don't know if you can quite make him out. I had to make a big red circle. That was as thick as the circle gave me on PowerPoint. This is, this is a guy, this random guy walking on the snowy sidewalk, okay? Do you know who he is? I, I actually got on the internet, looked up at the internet movie database. I searched for him, and you know what? I couldn't find, I looked random dude walking on snowy sidewalk, and he didn't even pop up in the database. He's not even in the credits, you guys. It's tragic, because you know why? This movie, it's not about him. He's an extra. And you know what they never considered naming Rocky? random dude walking on the snowy sidewalk. It never even came up in the discussions, all right? This movie is all about Rocky. And as, as much as you and I try to make our story about us, as much as we want to believe that the universe spins around us, it doesn't. The story is about God. And you and I are the random dude walking on the snowy sidewalk. It does not say, in the beginning, Justin, okay? Even in the message, doesn't say that. It says, in the beginning, God. It, it starts with God because it's all about God. And we said two weeks ago, you and I so desperately want to be Superman, right? We want to be the hero. We, we want to be the main character. We want this story. We want everybody else. We want all the universe to, to be focused and revolve around us. But we said, we're not. Who are we? We're the damsel in distress, Remember, we are the ones that messed this thing up in the first place. But praise God that we, as the damsel, as the extra, are loved by that God and pursued by that God. 
This story is about God. Number two, this story is about the everlasting God. Now, you notice something here interesting in Genesis 1. It doesn't say, in the beginning, God was born. It doesn't say, in the beginning, God was made, or or God began. It, It just simply says, God is there, and he had been there all along. See, it's, is this is the beginning of creation. This is the beginning of time. But it is not the beginning of God. God has always been, and he will always be. And this blows our little finite human minds because everything that we know has a beginning and it has an end. We all, you know, I was born on April 11th, 1984. Okay, just a reminder for my birthday. You guys, I like board games in the color yellow. Just throwing it out there. Born April 11th, 1984, and the, US, the, the average U.S. life expectancy puts me that I'll die around the year t- t- uh, 2063. Okay, so I've got some good years left in me, uh, the averages say. But we cannot, everything we know has a beginning and it has an end. The sermon has a beginning and hopefully it will have an end. Okay, and, and, and so we approach life like this and it's so, I mean, I think about opening a book and you flip to the beginning. I told you to flip to Genesis, and you flip to the beginning of a book, but imagine you would just keep turning the pages, and you could sit there for hours or millions of years, and you would never get back to the beginning. I mean, we, this defies reason. We, we don't understand what it means to be infinite, as God is infinite. And sometimes I wonder, I wonder if God made the universe as immense as he did just to give us a glimpse of how big he is, of how everlasting he is, of his, what we would call his eternality, or the fact that he's eternal. And I think that the universe can give us kind of a physical illustration of this. So, let's say, um, and, and, oh, I missed this verse, I'm sorry. Psalm 90, this speaks to this. I'm not making this up. The Bible says that God is everlasting. Before the mountains were born, or you were brought forth, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then three chapters later, David says, your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. God is from eternity. So here's, here's our physical illustration. Okay, speed of light. You travel at 186,000 miles per second. You are booking it, all right? Don't try this on K-Beach. You will get pulled over. 186,000 miles a second. Now, to put that, because that's just like our brains can't comprehend that, so to put that into perspective, that means you could travel around the world seven times in one second, okay? You're moving. Seven times in one second. And then then you want to move out. You want to get away from the earth. How far, how far out does the universe go? Well, if we were to travel just in our solar system, just get to the moon, yeah, the, the moon would take two seconds. So one Mississippi, two Mississippi, we're at the moon, traveling at the speed of light. And then we continue to move forward. We go to Mars, the closest planet to us. It would take four minutes if we traveled at that speed. And then if we went out to the outer parts of the solar system, it would take five hours to get to Pluto. Poor Pluto, rele- relegated to a dwarf planet. He's, uh, it's like the Thanksgiving. He has to sit at the kids' table. He no longer gets to hang out with the adults. So Pluto, here we go. We're moving out, okay? But that's just the start of it, man. We want to go here. Here are the stars kind of in our neighborhood. If we wanted to move from our planet or our sun and go to the closest sun, which is Alpha Centauri, that would take 4.3 years. Again, traveling at the speed of light. It would take a lot longer in my Kia Optima, all right? So here we mo- we're moving the closest star, four, over four years traveling at the speed of light. Now, if we look at just our galaxy... Okay, it contains these clusters of solar systems. To go from one end to the other, it would take 100, 
thousand years traveling at the speed of light, and we're still in the neighborhood. So we push on outward, and we go to see, here's the Milky Way amidst all these other galaxies, and just to get to the next closest galaxy would take two million years traveling at the speed of light constantly. And then if you wanted to get to the next galaxy cluster, group of galaxies, which a lot of these are not, these aren't stars or even galaxies, these bright lights you see, some of them are galaxy clusters. To get the next closest galaxy cluster would take 20 million years. They they say right now that we know of 100 billion galaxies that exist, but that's only because that's as far as our telescopes can see, and we do some math by doing some multiplication, and and they actually are coming out with a new telescope that they think they're going to double that number. So for all the people on the planet right now, each of us could own 15 million galaxies, okay? The prices right now are ridiculous, but you could. You could if you wanted to. You could own one, and here's the deal. God is holding all of that in the palm of his hand. This gives us a taste. It gives us a glimpse of our everlasting God. And it should cause us to fall down and worship. In, in a story, a name can tell you a lot about a character. Okay? For example, uh, my name is Justin Blake Franchino. Uh, my, Justin means the just or right, which I just think is dead on. Just, just dead on. Uh, my middle name is Blake. It's Old English for black, which again, just nailed it. Uh, Frank, it's, it's Italian root for freed slave, okay? And then the Eno, it's a diminutive. It means it makes it small. And so, if you put that all together, I would be the righteous, freed, little black slave, okay? Which actually, I really honestly do like the spiritual significance of that. Like, I was in sin, but then Jesus, he freed me from slavery, and he declares me righteous in God's sight because of what he's done. So there's, there's actually some beauty in that name. And if you flip it around, you look at my name the other way, it's Oniknarf Kalb Nitsudge, which has no significance whatsoever. I just wanted to say Oniknarf uh, in front of you all today. The, the American, we, we, some of us do, we, you know, we name our kids after our parents or our great-grandparents or whatever, but a lot of times we're just like, oh, that sounds like a cool name. We'll name my kid that, you know, and we just, names aren't as significant here as they are in other cultures. In the Hebrew culture, names were wildly significant. When God would name somebody or give someone a name, they, they had a real meaning to them, like Abraham's a great example of that. When he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, that meant the father of multitudes. You know why he named him that? Because Abraham became the father of multitudes. He became the father of the nation of Israel and the spiritual father of all believers. So if names in the Hebrew culture were so significant, this God who has his roots in a Hebrew culture, what is his name and what's the significance of that name? Now we said God's the only one that's been there from the beginning, okay? So what, did, what does God call himself? How does he refer to himself? Because that's probably the most important thing. Not how do we refer to God, how does he refer to himself? Well, the best glimpse we have into that is in Exodus 3. We fast forward into our story, right about to the Exodus, right? And Moses, he he says, I'm going to go tell the people that you've sent me to free them. Who am I saying sent me? And this is what God tells uh, Moses. He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. 
So the name God uses to refer to himself here is I am. One verse later in verse 15 is where we get the word Yahweh. And these words, I am and Yahweh, they're very synonymous. And the closest thing we could come to an English definition is simply this. I am the one who is. (laughs) That's what he said. I am the one who is. He's simply saying, I exist. Or another way to say it is, I am the self-existent one. He's saying, I always have been. At any time, I I am. And Jesus, who is God, he said the exact same thing in John chapter 8. He goes, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. See, each of us, there was a time when we were not. But at any point in history of the universe, and outside of time itself, God could say, I am. He has always been, and he always will be. And this name that he refers to himself, it doesn't just speak to his, how eternal he is, it also speaks to our next point, that he is the self-existent God. Now, this is fascinating. The ancient Israelites, they were so in awe of Yahweh, they wouldn't even speak his name. They wouldn't even speak, they wouldn't say Yahweh out loud because of the reverence they had for it. They would simply say, they would either say the name, kind of how we translate it into English, the name, or they would say Lord. Now, if you ever, if you've been looking through your Bible and it's like, what's up with the times that it's just like all caps? There's like the big L and then O-R-D, but those are also in caps. Whenever you see that, that is a Yahweh reference. That is the, the word Lord has been substituted in there for the Hebrew word Yahweh. And this name implies that, number one, God is eternal, but it also implies that he is self-existent. In other words, he just is, and he doesn't need the help of anyone or anything to be. Now, you compare that with you and I for a second. We are some needy, needy people, right? You know Maslow's, uh, or Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. I think for most of us, the top of that list would be coffee and Wi-Fi, right? Like we have those two things and we're good, right? But just below those, you think about how long can a human, how long can this poor kid go without food, okay? <laughs> they say on average... You go about three weeks, three or four weeks. With, now, there's a lot of variables involved, but, but the body would start breaking down if you had no food nutrients whatsoever after about three or four weeks. Four to six weeks, and it's game over. And water, it's even less time than that. We can only go maybe a week, and again, it depends on, you know, what, there's a lot of circumstances that can, that can change these things, but we are 65% water. We cannot go very long without water whatsoever. Anything about air, okay? How long can we go without breathing, Okay. Some of you, you remember playing that game that now they've totally banned at the McKiskey Pool, how long can you hold your breath underneath the water? And, you know, for me, it was like 10 seconds. I had, I had nothing. But you can maybe go, like the longest someone can go is about four minutes before there's irreversible brain damage and much more longer after that, and that person has ceased to exist. We are needy people, okay? My, my nephew, Ray, or my niece, June, you leave them alone for just a few minutes, Okay? And then you can do significant damage to themselves and their environment, all right? We need, our, we need protection from our parents. We need protection from the sun. There is a lot, there's a laundry list of the things that we need to survive. And God needs none of that. God needs none of that. Partially because God is a spirit. He is a person. He's not just some invisible force. He is a person and yet he does not have a physical body like us, and therefore he doesn't need food and water and air and sleep and the things that you and I need on a daily basis. And how amazing to think that our God never gets tired. He never gets hungry. The best way I could say it is this. We are dependent on him for everything, 
You pull the plug, God pulls the plug on us, and it's over. He is dependent on no one for anything. And praise God that that is our God that we serve. In the beginning, he was there, all on his own, completely sufficient in himself. Now, you might say, well, well, yeah, he didn't, you know, he doesn't need anything to like to live, but didn't he need companionship? Wasn't God lonely? Isn't that why he made man? Everything that God is, he's always been. So if God has always been love, there must have been an object to love, and that's where we speak into the Trinity. That before anything else was made, in the beginning when there was only God, before time, he had the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God was in relation with himself. There was love there within the Trinity. So there was not a single thing that God needed, and yet he chose to make us and love us and redeem us. And finally, this story is about the only God. The word here in Genesis 1-1 for God is the Hebrew word Elohim, okay? Now, this is a plural form of the—we're going to get a little nerdy here. We're going to go a little Greek or a little Hebrew on you. The, the, it's the plural form of El or Eloah, and that word just simply means a deity or a god. So Elohim is the plural uh, of God. Now, this doesn't mean that there is more than one god. S- some scholars would say that this is a nod to the Trinity— that there's, there's more than one when it's saying a plural form of God, that it's referring to the three persons in one. Some scholars would disagree with that. Um, but, but, but one thing that we do know, what this did in Hebrew, was it, was, it would show the um, supremacy or majesty of the being. So when they used this for God, what it meant, what they were saying, is he is the God of gods. He is the supreme God. Now again, there are many religions in the world that believe in more than one God. We talked about animism, the rain God, the crop God, the sun God. That's, that's not, they're not simply saying Elohim is in charge of the other gods, or he's stronger, like he can bench press more than the other gods. It's saying something deeper and more profound. It's saying he is the only God, and we see that echoed all throughout scripture. What he says about himself, Isaiah 43, before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. The New Living says it even more simple. It says there is no other God, there never has been, and there never will be, okay? That's pretty straightforward, Next chapter, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. There is one God, one hero, one protagonist, and that is Yahweh. And this is where we get our term sovereign. The word sovereign, it means ruler or supreme uh, in power, chief of, of highest degree. God is infinitely greater. He is superior to everything and every way. And we're going to come back to this next week, and we're going to see why his sovereignty is so important when we, when you and I, when creation splashes onto the scene. But for now, and this is where I want to land the plane, can we simply see and savor this majestic God of ours? Can we pause for a moment? Does does God not deserve a moment of our lives to be stood in awe of? I would argue he deserves every moment. And remember that that he's the main character of this story. It's about him. And how miserable, how exhausting is it when I try to make myself the main character of this story? You tracking with me? Uh, earlier this week, I was feeling sort of bummed out, like I was just sort of down in the dumps, and I'm like, what is my, like, what is the funk that I'm in? And I, and I thought about it, and I thought, wait a minute, 
I'm making my life all about me. Like, no wonder I'm so miserable. I'm all worried about how people are thinking about me, how many people are into the thing that I'm doing and, and, and what, they, what they think of me. We make awful main characters. We make terrible heroes. We make crummy gods. And we mu- must let our God be God. We must let him be the main character of our story. How much more infinitely sweet to spend our day thinking about and marveling at God. Do you ever go stand at the edge of the cook inlet? And you think about how many drops of water are in that huge inlet that feeds into an infinitely larger Pacific Ocean? Or we stand and we look at the stars and we just simply ponder how vast, how seemingly unending is the universe that God holds in the palm of his hand, or you make a list of all the things that you and I, we need to survive. These things get taken out of our lives and we're done. And we praise him that he's a God that needs absolutely nothing to survive. In fact, everything else in this universe depends on him for survival. And that God has got us and he is not going to let us go. And And we praise this God that's big enough to be worthy of the praise. These songs that we're singing this morning, he's worthy of that. In fact, he's infinitely more worthy than any praise we could ever give him. And we give honor to his name, a name that the Hebrews did not even dare to speak. And we tremble that he is the supreme, sovereign God who could take us out with the flick of his pinky. And yet we praise him that he doesn't, but that he's a good father that loves us. The God who stood before all time, who holds the universe together. This is the self-existent God. This is the supreme God. This is the sovereign God. This is the only God. And you know what Jeremiah 9 says, and then we'll be done. This is what the Lord says. We should pay attention. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. Okay? You want to stick out your chest? You want to brag about something? Because here it is. That they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord. He goes, yeah, I mean, maybe some of you guys are in school and you're back in school and you're getting straight A's. He goes, that's great. I'm proud of you. But you don't boast about your grades. We boast that we know the one who created math, right? Who, who gave us the brains to do what we can do. He says, don't boast in your power. Maybe you've worked out all week and you're up to benching 500 pounds or whatever you can do. He goes, that's awesome. I'm really in awe of your strength. But, but don't boast in that. Boast in the fact that you know the one who holds everything with his fingers in the known universe. Because you want to boast about your riches, you got to raise this week, or, or you're the richest person on your block or in your family or whatever it is. He goes, that's great, but I'm the one that owns everything, and without me, you have nothing. Boast that you know me, not in yourself. In next week's story, right out of the gates, God is going to put on a show that dwarfs any Lord of the Rings or Star Wars epic. <laughs> dwarfs, Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> we're almost there, Justin. Tells, 
He's going to tell us all these incredible, all these life-changing things about himself, and we're only in chapter one. Father God, Yahweh, I am Elohim. You are the one. It's all about you. Father, I just confess so many times throughout the same day, I lose sight of that. I want to be the main character. I want this whole world to revolve around me and and what people think of me and if, if I'm getting the praise of man or not. And God, I pray that we would be a people that would see things correctly, that we would see that you're the only one worthy of being praised. And we're only going to find true joy, we're only going to find true life when it's you that we worship and nothing else, not ourselves and not anything else that you created. Help us to be people that do not create, confuse the creation with the creator. May we praise you and you alone, God. May we find our joy and our rest and our hope in the everlasting, self-sufficient, only God of this universe. As we continue to praise you, God, may we see you as you are and worship you with every fiber of our being, not just this morning, but for the rest of this week and the rest of our lives. You are the one we've waited for. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son. It's all about you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.